The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today, we go back to our study of the book of Revelation. It's been several weeks since we've been in the book of Revelation, so in this message, Elder Buddy Abernathy reviews where we are up to this point. You may recall that we have dealt with the letters to the seven churches, and now we're in chapter 4, where we get a view of heaven and the glory of God and His work. I hope you'll join us as we continue looking at this book from time to time, because it's one of the sweetest, most encouraging books in the Scripture. Most people see Revelation as undecipherable and mysterious and maybe even scary. But God intended the book to be a comfort to his children who are experiencing the tribulations and persecutions of this wicked world. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. As I
been six weeks since I've spoke to you from the book of Revelation, and so I think it's important today that I try to refocus where we're at and then spend some time continuing where we left off. The book of Revelation covers the church age. A lot of people have strange ideas and look at it as a prophecy of things that are yet to come and that there are future dispensations and major changes to take place in the Lord's kingdom here on earth. But it covers the church age. That is the time period from when Jesus was here until he comes back. Now, let's begin with just an overview of the main segments of world history. Now, I'm rounding these figures off just to make it simple, but understand that uh, the numbers may vary two or three hundred years, but I'm just trying to <clears throat> present this to you in a way that you can keep in mind. The earth was created about 6,000 years ago. 2,000 years after creation, there was a worldwide flood. And the Apostle Peter said, the world that then was perished. There was a complete change of this physical world and this environment after the flood. Now, as far as the Bible's concerned, that first 2,000 years of history prior to the flood is covered in only the first eight chapters of the book of Genesis. After chapter 8, we see the next 2,000-year period of history, which makes up the balance of the Old Testament, where God, under Abraham, beginning, I think, in Genesis chapter 11, began the nation of Israel as a people, and the balance of the Old Testament, for the most part, is about the history of that people that God chose to bless with his revelation throughout the Old Testament. So we go 2,000 years from creation to the flood, and then there's 2,000 years from the flood until the time of Christ. Now, we know the New Testament covers that time period. Jesus established the church 2,000 years ago. Now, we're living approximately 2,000 years since Jesus established the church. So, I like to think of it this way, just to make it as simple as possible. From the creation to flood was 2,000 years. 
from the flood throughout the Old Testament worship until the time of Christ was 2,000 years. And it has been 2,000 years since then. Now we could speculate, although no man knows it, that it may not be that long before the next final eternal dispensation comes. And that's when the Lord comes back to take us home. And it's very important that we understand that. That Jesus established the church and here we are 2,000 years later and we're to worship him the same way they did in the first century. And we're to keep worshiping him the same way until he comes back. Now the confusion often lies in what's it going to be like when the Lord comes back? Well, we don't have to guess about it. Notice in Acts chapter 1 and beginning with verse 6. Acts chapter 1, this is Jesus interacting with his apostles after his resurrection. You remember he was with them for about 40 days after his resurrection and then he ascended back to heaven where he has resided ever since. But notice here in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? People are still asking that same question. The answer is the same. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So many preachers spend so much time trying to teach from the Scripture how and when God's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. The Lord's basically saying that's none of your business. And he's not saying that the Lord will restore the kingdom to Israel. He's saying we don't need to be concerned about that. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. What's he saying? He's saying to his apostles, immediately following his resurrection 2,000 years ago, that in the same way you saw me ascend to heaven, in that same way, I'm going to come back. 
What's going to happen when the Lord comes back? Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When he shall appear, when he comes back, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Somebody says, well, preacher, that's too simple. That's just the way it is. The Lord came the first time and saved his people from their sins, set up New Testament worship, which is not complicated, but as it was in the first century, he intends for us to worship him in singing, praying, and preaching until he comes back. And when he comes back, we're going to appear with him in glory, and that will be at that moment the end of time. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24, Paul makes this uh, so clear. We'll begin uh, reading here with verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all, may, shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. Again, that's sort of simple, isn't it? Jesus saved us, told us to worship him in spirit and in truth, and as a matter of fact, even with regard to the communion service, and the continuation thereof, we read in the scripture that it says that in doing this, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. And when he comes, we're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that's when the end comes because that's when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And one more, notice how Paul verbalizes this in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, let's just begin with verse 7 so you can understand what he's talking about. Referring to Jesus, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redemption's not offered, redemption's not available. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. Notice the language there. Jesus saved us. He redeemed us. We have the forgiveness of sins and the ultimate purpose is that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather us together in one, all things in Christ. What does he mean by the dispensation of the fullness of times? It means all of time has now been fulfilled. All of time is finished. 
And the last dispensation, which is the one we anticipate, which is the next one, is not some thousand year reign. It's not some great tribulation. It's not some battle of Armageddon. He says the next dispensation is the fullness of times. It's the completion of time. In other words, we're now in the final, we will then be in the final eternal phase of our salvation. Now, with all of that in mind, let's try to get refocused on the book of Revelation. The book of, Rela the book of Revelation is divided into seven sections, each of which give a different picture of what's transpiring between the time that Jesus set up the church until he comes back. Now that needs to be clear in your mind. The book of Revelation gives different views or pictures of the time from Jesus set up the church until he comes back. Now, think of it this way. <clears throat> if you were considering buying a home and the real estate agent drove you by the home and didn't even pull in the driveway and then said, what do you think? You want to buy it? You would probably get a different real estate agent because you want to know more about it. You don't want to just see the front of the house. You want to see the side of the house, the back of the house, inside the house. But you're seeing different views of the same house. And book, the book of Revelation approaches this church age, this gospel dispensation, this New Testament worship that we are presently in. It's given you essentially seven different views or perspectives of it. Now, the first three chapters that we've already covered are looking at the church age in a literal sense. That is, Jesus addresses seven historical churches that actually existed. And we today can often find that the church has some of the same problems that they had. In other words, these first three chapters are not using symbolic language. They're not using word pictures. It, generally speaking, it's addressing real churches with real problems. And the point we derive from that in terms of it being the first section of those seven is that worship, in the New Testament church is to continue from the time Jesus set it up 2,000 years ago until he comes back. Now, in chapter 4 through chapter 6, here's the second section. Here's another section describing the period of time between when Jesus set up the church 
until he comes back. But these following sections, that is the balance of the book, is not like those first three. The balance of the book contains a lot of figurative language, a lot of uh, ideas that get points across to it. Now, to us, here's what we need to understand. These different uh, word pictures are conveying ideas or concepts. For example, we'll read about the throne room of heaven. We've already read part of it, and it talks about these beasts full of eyes and all of these different uh, descriptions of the throne of heaven. And we don't need to read that and say, okay, the eyes represent this, the beasts represent this, the lamps represent, you know. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to just give you a general concept. And here's a great comparison that's not original with me. If you go to the hardware store or wherever to buy some poison, the average person is not going to read the ingredients and say, okay, I understand exactly what this is and how it works, and I'm glad I read this detailed label so I will know this is poison. I don't know if they still do this, but there was a time when they would put a skull and crossbones. You remember that? That means this is poison. You don't sit there and say, okay, the skull represents this, one crossbone represents this, there's two crossbones because of this, and the reason they're crossed is because of this. You don't look at it that way. You say, that means this is poison. That's the way you're to look at these next six sections of three chapters in the book of Revelation, and as the Lord wants you to get an idea for the most part, of the battle that we're in. You know, Paul made this very clear in Ephesians chapter 6. When he tells us to put on the whole armor of God, and then he tells us why in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're in a real battle. It's not imaginary. And I believe perhaps preachers are really affected by this battle. The Lord told Peter that Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. Sometimes I feel that way. The reason Satan went after Job is because he was a good, moral, upright, God-fearing man. He didn't want to, Satan had no interest in people that were already living ungodly lives. He wants to go after anyone that is 
bringing honor to God in the way they live their lives. Peter wrote, after the Lord told him that Satan desires to have you to sift thee as wheat, Peter then wrote a few years later that our adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I like what I heard a preacher say one time on the radio, Satan's not out to annoy you, he's out to destroy you. That's real. This is not a world of imagination. And the more you try to serve God, the more convinced you will be that you have real enemies. And the real enemy is not people, it's not your co-workers, it's not the person you're mad at in traffic. Those are not your real enemies. Your real enemy is the one that attacks your mind, attacks your soul, and tells you so often, why don't you just quit? You know, the Lord, Satan will even tell preachers that, and we'll look at that later on. So as we go back now to the book of Revelation, those first three chapters cover the church age in terms of addressing actual real churches like Zion Church today. But then from chapter 3 to chapter 4, he immediately transitions from the church age to a view of heaven. You know what that means? The thing that comes after the church is heaven. That's one thing you can get out of that. But as we try to home in on what we want to look at now, this begins with a view of heaven so that we can then be prepared for the battle we're in now. In other words, there's something outside of this world. And so let's just read that uh, briefly here, uh, beginning in Revelation chapter 4, and we'll go through the end of verse 5, which is where we're at in our preaching through this book. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.